Hello and welcome back to Shockingly Wicked, a true crime podcast where we bring you true crime cases from the headlines to the hometowns. I'm Brianna. What up, shawty? <laughs> I'm Brittany. And we are your hosts for the evening. Thank you guys so much for your feedback on the last couple episodes. As you probably can tell, this is relatively new for us. So we're still trying to figure out what works, what doesn't work. And we're making modifications as we go. So thank you for being patient as things work themselves out. And there's one video on the TikTok. Oh, yes. Yes, this there one. is one video. Just one so far, but it's it's a funny one. It is so a funny one. If you enjoyed <laughs> the amphibian comment from... Uh, <laughs> Episode one. Oh, it's going to haunt me. That's going to be put on my tombstone. <laughs> I I will make sure of it, actually. Thank you so, so much. You're very welcome. Because of our switcheroo last week, what we're going to do this week is Britt is going to lead our episode. And I actually don't know what case she's going to be doing. So this is going to be all brand new information for me. So Britt, take it away. Okay. Today, we're going to talk about the creepy and terrifying unsolved murder of Dorothy Scott which I'm sure you saw the title, so. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> Rolls reversed here. Okay, reversed. So Dorothy Jane Scott was born on April 23rd in 1948 to her lovely parents or... I guess they're lovely. I don't know them, but their names were Vera and Jacob Scott, and they were living in Anaheim, California. I think I pronounced that correctly. Yes, you did. <laughs> Yay. Okay. So there wasn't a lot that I could find about Dorothy's background and growing up, but when she was 28 in 1976, she gave birth to her only child and son, and his name was Sean. So from what I could find, Sean's father really wasn't in the picture. I couldn't really find a lot of information, but he wasn't a part of their life from the beginning. In fact, pretty soon after Sean was born, he moved to Missouri, which was like 2,000 miles away from Dorothy and Sean. Well, damn. So sad. Tell me you don't want the responsibility of being a father without telling me you don't want the responsibility. <laughs> um, I think that's what we call sperm donors. I mean, yeah, essentially. So Dorothy and Sean ended up moving in with their aunt. I don't know her name. There's not a lot up until a couple months before her disappearance, but they moved in with her aunt in Canton, California, which is only 20 minutes away from her parents. Her father, Jacob, actually was the co-owner of a shop called Swinger Psyche, which was jointly owned with another shop called John's Head. I don't know. It's very I weird. have a question. Is it, <laughs> is it swingers as in swings or is it supposed to be like... Actually, it's like a psychedelic shop. Okay, well, it's better than I thought it was going to be. It's a sex shop. I'm not going to lie. I thought it was like Pandora's box or something. (laughs) Yes, that's why I was asking. Okay, continue. (laughs) So I don't know if it was because of her dad was the co-owner, but she did get a job as the back office secretary for both stores because they were like connected. Yeah. So she was able to do that. But her parents lived close enough to the stores where she could drop Sean off in the morning at their house and they would watch them while she was at work. Her co-workers and parents described her as super religious, dependable and kind. And they said she was obsessed with Sean. She was the greatest mom. He was her everything. And I think that's so cute. Yeah. And I mean, that makes sense if you're a single mother and you're raising this kid all by yourself. I know. It's so sad. Yeah. It's like, that's what your life is dedicated to. So I guess, yeah, that makes sense. I love that she was so obsessed with him. That's so cute. I'm obsessed with my dogs. (laughs) Anyways, she didn't party. She liked to go to work, come home to her son and do it all over again. She didn't do any drugs, didn't smoke. 
then drink, you know, the whole shebang. That sounds lovely. Like a life. Sounds lovely. <laughs> oh, sounds like a life. Sounds like a life. Okay. So on May 28th in 1980, her day started like any other. She woke up, got ready, brushed her teeth, did her makeup, and then made the drive to her parents' house. That's where she dropped Sean off. Mm -hmm. This is an important thing to remember, but Jacob was actually on a work trip in Missouri on that day. So only Vera was home. Okay. But she informed her mom that there was a staff meeting at Swingers that night. So she was already expecting her late. I think the meeting started at nine because I think the shop closed at nine. So they were doing the meeting like right after the end of the day. I don't know. Okay, that makes sense. 80s were weird. (laughs) Well, because I was about to say like, that's a really late work meeting, but I guess that makes more sense if it's after the shop is closed i don't know my meetings are usually during the day but i guess because it was like i don't know if it was just the swinger shop or if the other john's head shop was doing their meeting at that same time but i guess because it's like a store and people came in different shifts i don't know yeah and when i worked at panera if we had a store-wide meeting yeah let's not talk (laughs) about it (laughs) if we had a store-wide meeting we would close the store maybe like an hour or two early that day we'd let people know we were closing early but then we would have our meeting after then so i guess it it was kind of similar to this yes i worked at mcdonald's and we never had meetings we never (laughs) closed early in fact i think one time it snowed and you know i'm in the south so we don't know how to act when it snows (laughs) and it was icing over and i couldn't drive at this point my grandparents were still taking me back and forth to work because it was like my first job Mm -hmm. they would not let me go home and i was like it is eight o'clock at night my grandma can't drive (laughs) i think actually my grandpa picked me up that day but whatever you gotta love capitalism because uh (laughs) i had an instance where i was supposed to work one night and there was actually tornadoes (laughs) coming through our town i'm not even joking one dropped down about maybe like two minutes from my house and so our house was fine but the main road off of our neighborhood there were trees down basically in every direction to get off that main road so i literally could not go to work so i called them i was like uh yeah i can't make it in tonight and they were just like is there any way you can make it in we're slammed and i'm just like i literally just told you i cannot drive over these trees i'm sorry i don't know what you want me to do (laughs) when i started it was like my second it was like my first big girl job okay it was my first day i was in the middle of training tornado hit first day 12 o'clock i didn't even get to go to lunch that's a sign okay so back to the story dorothy had a co-worker his name was conrad boston and during the meeting he began to look really pale and his arm was turning bright red and it was swelling in like the upper half he did not look good and that was during the meeting so she offered to drive him to the hospital and another co-worker her name was pam head agreed to go with them and i couldn't find a lot about pam but i think she might have been either the wife or the daughter of the owner of john's head shop yeah that that would make sense so the three of them headed to the hospital and you gotta remember so this is the 80s they don't have phones on the way dorothy stopped by her parents house because dorothy's driving so she was informing her mom what was going on you mean they don't have cell phones right that's what i said right you said they don't have phones they don't have phones (laughs) (laughs) no it's okay i was just kind of like wait a minute yeah they do (laughs) okay continue no okay so they don't have cell phones so she was wearing this black scarf so while she was telling her mom what was the dealio like she was gonna be later picking sean up 
up. I don't know why Sean just didn't stay the night, whatever. So yeah. I'm assuming it's like nine o'clock. Well, it is nine o'clock because the store closed, but mm-hmm. she changed from her black scarf to a red scarf because I think that was a little bit more appropriate to go to the hospital with. <laughs> yeah, you don't want this to look like you're wearing a morning outfit. <laughs> I know. So they get back into the car and head to UC Irvine Medical Center. So Pam and Dorothy waited in the waiting room, obviously, because that's where you wait. Uh, (laughs) While Conrad was being treated, he got bit by a black widow. I was going to say, it sounds like it was a bite of some kind, but like, how do you... (laughs) Do you get workman's comp for that kind of thing? If it happened during work Did they have workers' comp in the 1980s? I have no idea. That's an excellent question. Well, I don't know where the Black Widow came from, but he got bit by it, okay? Very scary. <laughs> I guess, I don't know what's worse, a Black Widow or a brown recluse? Um... I mean, they're both pretty terrible, so... <laughs> they're um, very similar in color, uh, black and brown. <laughs> <laughs> That's racist, Brittany! Molly, <laughs> <laughs> oh, just talking about the spiders, I'm so sorry. Okay. It's, uh, I'm kidding, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... I don't know how you treat a black widow bite, but anyways, they treated him. They gave Conrad some prescriptions, which I think was probably antibiotics to keep it from getting infected. And him and Pam decided to go get it filled, which I think at this medical center, you could probably get your prescriptions filled there. Mm -hmm. So they went, I guess, to another part of the medical center to get his prescriptions filled. And Dorothy told them that she would meet them out front with the car. So once they finished, they could just get in and go. Mm -hmm. But she stopped by the restroom really quickly. That, I guess, is an important part. But Conrad and Pam headed to go pick up the medicine, as you do when you go get a prescription filled. Yes. And they made it to the front of the medical center where they planned to meet back up with Dorothy. But, like, they waited for 20 minutes and they didn't see her. And they're probably like, what the fuck? But, like, all of a sudden, they finally saw Dorothy's white 73 Toyota station wagon heading towards the two of them. So they're like, oh, there she is. But the car didn't stop, and it sped right past them. And I guess it was going too fast, and it was dark, so they couldn't, like, tell he was driving. <laughs> the plot thickens. So Pam and Conrad are super confused. They're like, what the fuck's going on? So they decided <laughs> to wait to see if she would come back, because they're probably like, maybe something happened to Sean, and she had to go pick him up. Yeah. Like, there might have been an emergency. She's going to come back for us. She didn't come back, okay? They waited hours. And then, I guess, they finally had the bright idea to call Dorothy's parents home to see if she had stopped by there. She hadn't, because very informed them that she hadn't seen Dorothy and Sean was still at the house. So, Pam and Conrad have the bright idea to call the police and file a missing persons report. See, you would think that if you waited... An hour. Yeah, even just one hour that you would call, but they waited hours. Well, I guess... They thought something might have happened to her mom or Sean. And I don't know. I've never lived in a time where we didn't have cell phones. So I guess it's a little. But you would think. My my point is, if you see like the people you're taking home waiting for you up front and you're going to go past them, wouldn't you roll down the window and be like, I got to go. I'll be right back. (laughs) Bye, guys. I mean, that's what I would think. (laughs) Yeah. But obviously. I mean, at least, I don't know if it's obvious, but I don't think it was Dorothy driving the vehicle. (laughs) Well, uh, the police couldn't really do anything because she was an adult and they wouldn't really file the report because she technically wasn't missing. I think you have to be missing like for up to 72 hours before they'll file. Yeah, I I know it was at least, I think it's at least 48 hours, but yeah, I think they changed it. I was going to say, I don't know if it differs between uh, minors and adults, though. 
That's true. I probably should look that up, but okay. So at 4:30 a.m. on May 29th, five hours since Dorothy was reported missing or it disappeared, a 1973 white Toyota station wagon was found, and it was abandoned in an alleyway set ablaze. It was on fire. It was burning. Okay, in Santa Ana, California, which was like 10 miles away from the medical center. Well, that's not sketchy. <laughs> no. So finally, the police are like, okay, we might need to take this a little bit serious because <laughs> it was identified as Dorothy's car. So mm-hmm. they, I guess, filed the missing persons report then. <laughs> They're like, okay, that's a little suspicious. Yeah, just a smidge. So they're thinking that Dorothy's father, Jacob, was a suspect. So they considered him a suspect. But remember, he was on a work trip in Missouri the night she goes missing. Or was he? No, he was. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. And they verified that he was on a work trip. So okay. they quickly ruled him out. And after questioning her parents, the police realized that Dorothy had been receiving like strange phone calls for months before her disappearance. And she would get phone calls from this guy. He was an unknown caller and he was professing his love to her, but then he would threaten to kill her in the same sentence. Oh no. I don't understand why she didn't call the police, but yeah. I mean, even if it was just like one call, I'd be like, Nope, we're not doing this today. Her mom said she could remember one day in particular, the man called Dorothy and told her to walk outside that he had something for her. Okay. Her first mistake was going outside. But I'm not here to blame the victim, okay? We don't victim blame here. Um, So she decides to go outside to see what's there. And she saw a single dead rose placed on the windshield of her car. Oh, no, sweetie. So I looked up what the symbolism is for a dead rose. Mm -hmm. Just because I was curious. Because I know a black rose symbolizes death. Yeah. So a dead rose symbolizes sadness, the end of a relationship, or something that is broken. Oh, no, no. So I don't... Well, at first I'm thinking maybe is this an ex or something? Mm -hmm. So the caller knew her schedule and Dorothy said the voice sounded super familiar. Like she knew the caller, but she couldn't identify him. Yeah. So she could never place who it was, but the calls became super regular. He reportedly told her he would get her alone and cut her into bits that no one would ever find. Mm-hmm. I mean, at that point I would call the police, but that's just yeah. me. That's an actual genuine threat, not just a, I'm going to kill you. Like, he's very specific. He's formed a plan here. But on that same day of that call where he told her he would chop her up into bits, he also repeated the details of the outfit that she had on. Oh, no. Which I'm guessing is to, like, prove that he's actually watching her. Yeah. But I'm like, you don't have to prove, dude. I believe you. (laughs) Well, I mean... At least that way we know that he was like a genuine stalker. (laughs) I guess, but that's just weird. If I ever felt like I was being stalked, I would immediately tell Chris. Yeah. Well, I guess nowadays we're a little bit more vigilant about that kind of stuff. What I think is easier to trace. Especially especially because we have things like caller ID, cell phone towers, and yeah, they have ways to trace phone calls. There's also security cameras basically everywhere. <laughs> so yeah. it's easier to kind of figure out who's following you based off of things like that. But the fact that she said the voice sounds familiar, I'm wondering if it's maybe somebody who came into the store frequently to observe her quote unquote or like a co-worker yeah that's very true because i mean if it was a co-worker he would be easily like oh this is what you were wearing today and Mm -hmm. this is what you did today because you work that's true i mean i don't know about you guys but i spend more time with my co-workers than i do my actual husband (laughs) (laughs) like i'm there with them 40 hours a week okay um i don't have co-workers anymore so i can't relate (laughs) 
Brie lives that freelance life. (laughs) Okay. So this caller would frequently recount her day-to-day routine. He would provide details of her movements, recount the outfits she wore in specific details. He's not like you wore a red shirt and blue jeans with black shoes. You wore a red polka dot sheer blouse today with white dots with a matching black belt with a silver buckle the shirt was tucked into your dark denim blue jeans and your black shiny ballet flats with your hair downed and pinned backwards like it was that type of stuff (laughs) yeah i don't know why she didn't call the police i mean i don't know if she reported it i couldn't find any police reports Mm -hmm. Obviously, she told her parents because they were made aware. Yeah. So I don't know if they thought it was a joke or maybe she thought she could handle it. Yeah. Well, I think, too, if she did file a police report, it's possible that back then they didn't take those kind of things as seriously. They're just like, until they actually do something, we can't do anything. That's fair. I know that even just laws nowadays for stalkers, they're not very severe Mm -hmm. until that person actually causes you harm. It doesn't matter if they've threatened you. They can't really do anything unless they act on it. Which is so fucked up. We have to wait till this person dies before we can do anything. And I'm wondering, you know, I've sat there and thought about that. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's because that the charge for stalking isn't as severe as the charge for like murder? Do you think that's why? Probably. I think that's stupid. Yeah. That was my TED talk for the day. (laughs) (laughs) So a week before she goes, she disappears. She goes, you know, missing. A week before she disappears, she enrolls herself in karate lessons. Sorry, I was laughing just because that's what I said last last episode. I was like, gone disappearing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So instead of, I don't know, I guess I didn't have self-defense classes, but like, I guess karate will do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Her dad also mentioned that Dorothy had considered buying a handgun for protection. So Mm -hmm. that means to me that she was actually like taking it seriously. She was seeing it as a threat. Yeah. But she decided against it because Sean was only four years old. She didn't want to have a gun with a four-year-old in the house. I mean, that's valid. Yeah. Considering, especially nowadays, you hear reports about little kids getting into their parents' guns and shooting their siblings on accident. It's wild to me. Yeah. A week after Dorothy's disappearance, an unknown caller called her parents. Oh, no. Vera was home alone, and so she was the one that answered. But when she answered, an unknown voice came in and said, Are you related to Dorothy Scott? Yes, says Vera. I've got her. And then he quickly hangs up. Mm-hmm. So that's a fish. <laughs> so Vera tells Jacob, Jacob and her decide to call the police and they're searching but every lead that they investigate ends up being a dead lead. They don't really find anything. So this is when the police advises Jacob and Vera not to go to the media because it could negatively impact the investigation mm-hmm. or it could tip the killer off to kill her. You know how those situations go. Well, Jacob says he knows better than the police and decides (laughs) to go straight to the Orange County Register, which is a newspaper. Oh, no. I think it was because he was tired of not having any answers about his daughter and he felt like the police weren't doing enough, which is totally valid. Yeah, and I I definitely get that to an extent. You only have so much control. And if you're somebody who is, I mean, for example, he owns his own business, you know, he's used to being the guy in charge. If you're not in that position, then you feel helpless and you feel like you need to do something to actually 
put yourself back into control of the situation. So I get it, but it was stupid. <laughs> I mean, I would have waited a little bit longer than a week, but yeah. he goes and he talks to Pat Riley, which is the editor for the Orange County Registrar. Very next day, paper printed a story about the Scott case. And the next day after it was printed, so two days mm-hmm. after Jacob initially went to the paper, the editor of the paper receives a phone call from an unknown caller who sounds frantic. And we'll get right to that after a quick word about our sponsors. Hey, Britt. Sorry, I can't record tonight. A few of us are getting together in a little bit. Oh my God, that's right. The new Finder Seeker box came out today. Yeah, and I cannot wait to see what city this box is going to be about. I'll have to call my friends this weekend and demand them to come help me solve this month's puzzle. It's honestly the only right thing to do these days. And if you want to know what all the hype's about, sign up for your own monthly subscription at finderseekers.com and get your box delivered right to your door. Every month, like clockwork. And this is what he said. He says, I killed her. I killed Dorothy Scott. She was my love. I caught her cheating with another man. She denied knowing anyone else. I killed her. And then he hung up. Mm -hmm. So I think after hearing that, I think he had just killed her. Yeah. And I don't know if maybe the paper set it off, but him sounding frantic to me sounds like he just did it. Yeah, it's possible. And yeah. And also hearing that, I'm wondering... If maybe the person who was stalking her might have hallucinated or at least turned this fictional relationship in his head into something he thought was genuinely real. I think a lot of stalker cases has that where someone, Mm -hmm. the woman is nice to this man in a sense of telling him thank you or you know, has a friendly conversation and this man who's obsessed with her turns that around as she loves him. And mm-hmm. so therefore he has this obsession with her. I don't think it's love. I call it an obsessive lust yeah. because I think that's what it is. And maybe she was talking to a male co-worker or Conrad, for instance. Yeah. I was thinking maybe her volunteering to take Conrad to the hospital or seeing that she was at the hospital with Conrad mm-hmm. maybe could have set it off, which kind of leads me to believe that it might be like a co-worker. Yeah, that would make sense. But I think that might have been what could have set it off. Or, I don't know, stalkers are weird. Yes, yes they are. So the caller, before he hung up, told Pat Riley specific things that only the abductor would know, like the color scarf that Dorothy was wearing that night. And he told her specific things about Conrad's spider bite, where he was bit at, what the symptoms were, what kind of spider it was, what kind of medicine was prescribed, which is weird. Yeah, that really does make me wonder if it was a coworker. How else would he know all of this information? Unless he was literally like there with them in the hospital when he got this diagnosis. Weird. Pat obviously told Dorothy's parents and the police, but this kind of like confused her parents because Jacob and Barrett insisted that she didn't have time for a boyfriend. She was a single mother who worked a full-time job, or you can even consider it two full-time jobs. And she was the back office secretary for two stores. Yeah. And all she wanted to do was be with her son. And that's so sad. The mom says in the newspaper, because I think this is her parents going to the media. Yeah. And they're like, I don't know what this guy wants or if he really even had any love or compassion for Dorothy. But it seems like the decent thing to do is to give her body back to us so we can make sure she has a Christian burial. That's not too much to ask, is it? That's really sad. That is so sad. And like, 
we kind of talked about it a little bit in our last episode, but for so long not having any answers and her parents, they died without being able to even really give their daughter that burial because there were just so few remains left. I know. Sad. So eventually weeks turned into months and months turned into years and nothing had been found out about Dorothy's case. The unknown caller would taunt Barra and Jacob. And this is what pisses me off. So he would call every Wednesday afternoon when he knew Vera was going to be home alone. So I'm thinking that he maybe called when Jacob was at work. Mm-hmm. So that means he knows her parents' schedule, which again leads me to believe that this could have been a co-worker because he would know when Jacob was at work. But he would tell her that he had Dorothy and that he killed her. And he would do this all the time. Well, Oh, dude, who was calling? Fucked up. Because <laughs> one evening he called, and I think Jacob might have took the day off or something. Yeah. But he called one evening when Jacob was home, and Jacob answered the phone, and the caller hung up <laughs> like that. And then the call stopped. He didn't call back anymore. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, he has a thing towards women. Yeah. Because I think Jacob intimidated him. Obviously, Jacob and Vera reported this to the police. The police said they tried to trace the phone calls. But... The caller was smart because he never stayed on long enough for them to get anything. Yeah. And eventually Dorothy's case was considered a cold case. So that's sad. It is very sad. So on August 6, 1984, so this is four years after Dorothy has gone missing. They were doing like construction work and I think they were having to dig up the ground. Yeah. But a construction worker was digging and he found bones. And at first he's thinking... It's probably a wild animal because they're in the middle of the freaking desert. Mm -hmm. But they were later identified as human and dog remains. They were found 30 feet from the Santa Ana Canyon Road, which I think is the road that that alleyway was on. So they found a pelvis, skull, two thigh bones, and an arm that was found and was identified as human remains. Oh, geez. The bones appeared to have been there for about two years and had massive burns on them. So that was speculated to be caused by a bushfire that came in that area. Mm-hmm. And like, I guess, burned the bones. Yeah. I guess they weren't buried that deep. I don't know. They were like you know, investigate and doing the thing that they do when they find bombs, you know. Yeah. So they found a watch and a turquoise ring with the remains, which makes me think they found a watch on the arm, but that's neither here or there. Yeah, it's a little creepy. Vera identified the watch and turquoise ring to have belonged to Dorothy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is so weird. So the watch had stopped precisely at 12.30 a.m., which would have been an hour after Dorothy was seen alive. Uh So her mom thinks that that was the time that she died. Interesting. Which is creepy. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit. So they took the bones back to the police station or the coroner's office. I don't know if they're in the same area or not. I don't know. So they did a little testy test. (laughs) But on August 14th, the bones were officially identified as Dorothy Jane Scott after they had to use dental records. So they had to pull dental records to identify her. Yeah. I guess they identified the other bones. I mean, that makes sense because I know back then DNA evidence. did come to the 90s. I think they had a little bit of it. They could identify blood type groups, but not specific DNA like they can these days. And the only reason I know that is because one of the bigger cases I'm researching happened around the same time. So. (laughs) Bum, bum, bum. So obviously there was only like one, two, three, four. (laughs) There's only five bones. 
that were found said that a cause of death can't be determined because there was so little remains found. And after three months of silence, so like the unknown caller had taunted Vera and Jacob and then stopped three months before she was found. So he taunted them for four years. Wow. Which is stupid. When the news was reported that Dorothy's discover had been made, they got a phone call from an unknown caller and he said, is Dorothy home? And then hung up. Oh, no. Which kind of, so I was thinking about that. And I'm thinking, because that was the last call that had been made. He stopped officially after that. So he says, is Dorothy home? But does that mean because they had found the bones, now she's home? That's what I was guessing. Yeah. So that makes me think, does he feel some type of remorse about this? I don't know. Well, because it could be he feels remorse or it could be that he is enjoying playing games with this family because the fact that he called every week for four years (laughs) and said the same thing. I have Dorothy. I killed her and then would hang up. Yeah, it's like he seems to. I don't know. I would think that it's more so he enjoys toying with the parents, but that's just me. I think, I mean, obviously I'm not a psychologist or a doctor, so I can't diagnose, but I think there's obvious mental health issues. Yeah, that's, I was thinking that there might be something going on with this guy as well. Whoever abducted her. And this is really sad. So Vera and Jacob told police that they'd never changed their number because they hoped that one day the man would let Dorothy talk to them. No. <laughs> That's so sad. So for four years, they had the same number. They are expecting this phone call from this man calling them and taunting them and bringing out their misery more. Yeah. In hopes that Dorothy is actually still alive. That's so sad to me. Mm-hmm. After the Is Dorothy Home phone call, the police installed a voice recorder in the Scott house. But again, the caller didn't stay on the phone long enough before. And now he stopped calling. So... They didn't get anything. You would think that if he called repeatedly for four years, they would have done that step sooner, putting the voice recorder on. You never know with police. Clearly. Dorothy's family had a memorial service for her on August 22nd. I mean, I think they had so many little remains, Mm -hmm. so I don't know if they buried her or cremated her, but I know they had a memorial service Mm -hmm. behind the chapel lectern, which I think that's where they went to church at, Mm -hmm. or at least Dorothy went to church there. Yeah. At Forest Lawn Memorial Park were flowers of Dorothy's favorite color and ribbons that read beloved sister and sis nearby, and it was near a framed picture of Dorothy smiling. Her brother, I think, set everything up. Yeah. She had an older brother, but he's really not that important in the story. <laughs> I mean, he's important, but not to the story. Yes, I, I understand what you meant. <laughs> I don't want to, like, say he's not important. So, unfortunately, Jacob passed away in 1994, and Vera passed away in 2002, and they passed away never knowing the truth about what actually happened to their daughter. That's really sad. That is so sad. I hate unsolved cases, so I'm really shocked that I decided to do this unsolved case, but (laughs) this is why I don't like, because I will obsess over it. You love torturing yourself. I do. Her son, Sean, is dedicated to finding out who killed his mother to this day, but he believes that, and I'm going to talk about him in a second, but a man named Mike Butler is who killed his mother. That's who he thinks did it. 
I don't know because he was considered a suspect for a very short period of time, but they had no evidence. So he was quickly ruled out. But that's who Sean believes, or at least that's what I read in an article about a blogger who had been in contact with Sean. And the link to her article is listed below in the show notes, so you guys can actually go read it. But he told her that he believes Mike Butler is the one who killed his mom. Mm -hmm. And he will not rest. He said justice is the only answer that will bring him peace. Yeah. So a little bit about Mike Butler... I don't really want to, like, touch a lot about him because, like we said, no charges were ever brought to him. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to link the notes below in the show notes. But Mike was super religious. He was well-known throughout this community. And Mike's family settled in Southern California after his father retired from the Army. So I guess he was, like, 18 because he ended up going to Fullerton Union High School and early 1960. Mm -hmm. Mike attended California State University where he majored in English. And at the age of 20, he was drafted into the U.S. Army. Look at him. He's got goals. I think in the 60s. Is that that the Vietnam War? I think Vietnam was the 70s, but I don't know history that well. So let's Google it. Okay, so it was from 1955 until 1975, apparently. We weren't involved that whole time. Well, I just found a very handy-dandy timeline. Shout out to the History Channel. Love history in this house. This isn't a timeline, so what are you doing? <laughs> I, see, I was expecting, like, literal, this is when this happened, but it's just a bunch of sections that I can go in and read more about. I just want to know when America decided to get themselves involved in it, because... We're nosy. Yeah, we're nosy as shit. Okay, so it says here in 1962, the U.S. military presence in South Vietnam had reached some 9,000 troops compared with fewer than 800 during the 1950s. So it looks like in the 60s, yeah, generally was about the time when America was getting more involved in that. Well, so he was drafted into the U.S. Army. I mean, guess he went and fought there. Da 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 da. Mm-hmm. After he got back from the military, old dude worked as a roadie for several rock bands, including the Beach Boys. How fun. Apparently his sister had an all-female band called Bertha. Interesting. Spelled B-I-R-T-H-A. He had a sister, which I just said, (laughs) who was apparently a super accomplished musician and singer, so go her. And at one time, his sister worked at the Swingers Psych Shop, which, if you guys don't remember, was the same shop Dorothy and Dorothy's father worked. So I guess that would make sense as to why he knew her schedule. Yeah, well, and then apparently he possibly worked at an auto mechanic or body shop that was really close to Swingers. Mm -hmm. I think the same person who stalked her was the same person who kidnapped her, but they would have had to have either come in the shop every day, worked at the shop, or been super close to it. Yeah. Which, if his sister worked at the psych shop the same time Dorothy works there, and he's working close by at the same time, that would make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Plus... If he had worked nearby and known his sister, he could have came in, obviously, and she could have heard his voice. And that could have been like, he sounds familiar. Yeah, like she wasn't necessarily like friends with him, but she would have heard the voice because he came in. I only found one article about this. And like I said, I'm going to link the article below so you guys can read it. Apparently, Butler was unstable. I don't know. I couldn't confirm or deny that. So I'm just saying he was an unstable individual. He apparently was involved in cult activity, which I don't believe because he was super religious. Mm -hmm. Well, this is what... So the cult activity kind of makes sense because 
I think the 80s was during the Satanic Panic era. Mm-hmm. Or that was the 90s. I don't know. I think that was the 80s. So the dead dog could have been the cult. Mm-hmm. Like, could have been a sacrifice. So that kind of makes sense. Yeah. But he was talked to as a suspect, but they couldn't find any evidence whatsoever. That's just a little bit about him. Like I said, I mean, I don't think so, but I could see why they thought he was a suspect. But yeah, when you have so few remains that you can't do DNA testing or anything, you can't even figure out how the cause of death was. Yeah, but... it's, it's going to be very difficult to find any evidence to convict anybody on that murder. And then, like I said, Sean, her son, thinks that he could have been. There could be more that I just couldn't find. Yeah. But like I said, I don't know enough to like, hey, I think he did. I don't know. Yeah. I couldn't find a lot. But apparently, Mike Butler did eventually pass away from health complications in 2014. So I guess there's no real way to find out anyway. Although what you mentioned with the cult thing and him being religious, I think some cults kind of start off as an offshoot of religion. Because I think Jonestown kind of started out initially as an offshoot of Christianity, where they promoted this message of diversity in a time historically where there was a whole lot of racial division. Uh Then it gradually turned into what it was, where they ended up moving out of the country and committing mass suicide. I've done a little bit of research into cults lately just because I find little things that are interesting in each and then I go and research. I was watching a documentary about Nixium and it's interesting that it, I always think, how could somebody end up in a cult like that? And then it's like, once they explain it, the process, they're like, it was, it was never like this at the beginning. It was very slow, gradually getting deeper and deeper into this until it became what it was. Which I'm sure they probably tried to blame it on cults because I think at that time they were like oh cults are like for the people who worship Lucifer. Yeah. and So they probably lost what they thought. Because I do remember there was one point, I believe it was in the 80s when there was just a bunch of reporting on Satanist cults and surrounding I think it started, I I know that there was one case I heard about, it was a mother and a son who ran a daycare or something like that. Something happened to where somebody accused them of doing satanic rituals or something like that. Oh, I know what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, because I remember seeing uh, an episode of some show on Investigation Discovery about it, and yeah, it was around that time that it was almost like a mass hysteria type of thing where everybody was claiming to see cult activity everywhere, so it's possible that this might have been around the same time, and people were just attributing it to that, too, but I would have to Google it. Well... This August, it will have been 41 years since Dorothy's murder. So if you guys know anything, call the Santa Ana Police Department. (laughs) I don't know. I couldn't find any hotline. I was trying to look for a hotline where you could report information. But I guess because the case is so old, they're not really like. (gasps) If it's classified as a cold case, then they probably aren't actively searching for leads anymore. Well, you guys can just call the county police and be like, I have information. Only if you do. Don't be like one of those people who call just to call the assholes. Yes. Because then you're making it about you. And like Britt said, that makes you an asshole. 
But yeah, that's that's really sad. I know! Because <laughs> even if there was solid evidence, or not solid evidence, but at least circumstantial evidence to point to a suspect, even if we weren't able to legally say this person did it, at least they would have a general idea of what happened to her. But they don't even have that. So anyways, that was the weird, creepy case of Dorothy Jane Scott, and it's unsolved. Yeah, unsolved cases are not very satisfying, but I imagine that there are going to be many of them that we cover, because I know one of the next ones that I plan on covering is also unsolved. (laughs) The one that I'm planning on doing next is not unsolved, I don't think. I don't know, I haven't really looked that much into it, but Mm -hmm. I don't think it's unsolved. Well, at least we'll have some resolution somewhere down the line. (laughs) But... Yeah, so that was my first ever case I did by myself. Ah! <laughs> you did a very good job, Britt. I applaud you. Thanks. You're welcome. Tomorrow we're recording Bree's episode, but it's not going to be out until like... Two weeks from... Well, yeah. No, I guess it would be a week from when you're listening to this, so... Yeah, so the next week episode is going to be about Bree's case. Yeah. And I still don't know what it is, but we'll <laughs> I'll have information tomorrow. Me. It's fine. I okay. I do kind of know what it's going to be about, but it was just like I did. Maybe the one you sent me this morning. Y- y- mm, no, see, I was debating between that one and then another one that I had already planned on doing that we mentioned in one of our previous episodes. Oh. I bought a book last night about that one that we mentioned previously, so I'm. Depends on if I finish that book by tomorrow or not. <laughs> oh, look at you. I bought a book, too, about a case in the future I want to cover. Ooh. It's one, Um, Chris will know which one it is because it's one that he keeps telling me to do. I'm not going to tell you guys, but it's... You'll tell me, right? Just not on air. Yeah, I'll tell you. <laughs> I don't want to tell any of you people. Not you people as in, like, bad, but, like, I don't want to tell you guys. Yeah. But... Chris made me watch this whole documentary on it and his friend at work told him to tell me to do it and then my aunt mentioned for me to do it. So when Chris <laughs> hears this episode, he'll know which episode I'm talking about, but I don't it know It seems like a lot of peer pressure <laughs> to, to cover this one specific case. So I'm excited. Yeah, so like, now I gotta do it. Yeah. And I'm like, whatever. <laughs> I don't like the dude. Well, I don't like anybody, but you know. I mean... I would hope you wouldn't like whoever did the thing. Well, like, but. I don't know. Guy was annoying. <laughs> <laughs> um, it'd be like that sometimes. But all that to say, if you have case suggestions, we're open to it. You can email us at shockinglywickedpodcast at gmail.com. Oh, I just want to let you guys know. I'm hoping by the time you hear this episode, we'll have at least over a thousand followers, but I will tell you how many followers we have on the gram right now. I have not been looking because Britt has been having excellent conversations with everybody and it was blowing up my phone, so I logged out. (laughs) We have 893 followers right now. What? Last time you told me was like 700. How does this happen? (laughs) Because I am um, what's the word? Persistent. Persistent. <laughs>
but I love TikTok, but I'm too lazy to continuously make videos. That's why I'm not as active on TikTok, but I will be more active on TikTok because it is my responsibility. I mean, I could probably afford to <laughs> contribute a little bit to TikTok. No, you do a lot already. Don't worry about TikTok. I got TikTok. Okay, I guess. Um, we are on Instagram at Shockingly Wicked Podcast. We are on Twitter at Wicked Podcast One. You can find us on Facebook as a Facebook group at Shockingly Wicked Podcast. You can find us and on- And don't be weird and join it, okay? Not saying that any of you guys are weird, but like, don't join it and be weird. We'll see. I turn off all of my notifications all the time, so I don't ever see this stuff. <laughs> I turn them on because I am nosy. This is why I'm doing a true crime podcast, because I am the nosiest person. <laughs> In fact, I try to gossip with my husband all the time, okay? But he never asks the other people we're talking about the questions that I want answers to. <laughs> He's like, guys, don't ask that kind of stuff. Well, you need to, because I want to <laughs> You hear that, Chris? You hear that? <laughs> Start asking. I love you. All right. If you join our Facebook group, don't be weird. You can find us on YouTube where we post the closed caption version of our podcast. We don't have a URL at this time because we need 100 subscribers. Also, we are Shockingly Wicked LLC. We are official. <laughs> so only refer to us as so. Yes. It's a Shockingly Wicked, a true crime podcast. LLC. Actually, it's a shockingly wicked semicolon, a true crime podcast, LLC. No, it's just shockingly wicked podcast, LLC. Sorry. <laughs> that was too long. I stand corrected. <laughs> but yeah, we established an official business. You might see in the bio notes of this episode that there is a link to have you guys support us um, by possibly donating a little bit of something something you don't have to Is it the, i buy us a coffee or buy me a coffee no it's a it's something that anchor does actually through their platform called listener support so i activated it i don't know how it worked but i just <laughs> want to put out there don't feel obligated to give no because we're doing just fine <laughs> we are independent women who don't need no men i mean we're actually doing this just to fucking shoot the shit okay yeah i mean i well at least i am i started it so i was like i got to get this shit out. <laughs> I gotta talk to somebody and I don't want to go back to my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I have two. Um, but we have an ongoing um, list of cases we want to cover. Yes. So we have an ongoing list, but we are open to suggestions. So like Brittany said, reach out to us at our email, which is shockinglywickedpodcast at gmail.com or you can send us a DM, preferably on Instagram because that's where we're more active. Subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can get a specific URL. But for right now, you can just search up Shockingly Wicked Podcast and it should pop up. Or there's the link in our bio on Instagram, which has all of the links to wherever you can find us. As of this episode, I think it technically happened last episode, you should be able to actually find us on Apple Podcasts by searching for us. Yeah. <laughs> so shout out to them finally doing their job. If you guys leave us a review on iTunes. Shout out to Rory, you the bestest. <laughs> yeah, she pretty cool. But if you leave us a review on Apple iTunes, we'll pick a couple people to give a shout out in a future episode if you want. And we'll send you something a little nice. A little yeah. something something. I don't know what it'll be because I just thought of this on right now. <laughs> yeah, she's putting me on the spot here. <laughs> uh, we will discuss. 
Yes. Just keep in mind that it has to be like a written review because we can see the ratings, but we can't see who rated. So while I appreciate the other six people who rated us on Apple Podcasts, I cannot tell who you are. So this is a general shout out to you. Yeah, because you're guys are so cool. They're like the coolest. Yeah, we have seven five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts as of this current recording time, so that's pretty chill. Yeah, that's so cool. And if you leave us a review and you want to make sure we see it, you can always link it and email it to us. Yes. Um, I think we covered all of our social media. Yeah, we did. Okay. Well, we're going to head on out of here because i got to finish my dinner. <laughs> I'm going to eat dinner now. We're gonna go provide ourselves with some sustenance. So well, we can be here next week for you guys. Yes, we will be here next week. We look forward to you tuning in because I don't know how to say I look forward to seeing or slash hearing from you because I'm not doing that. So yeah. Bye! Bye! <laughs>